This episode of Energy Sense is brought to you by our Financial and Capital Markets Energy Advisory Group, part of S&P Global Commodity Insights. Our team of experts provides the investment community with actionable insight and integrated thought leadership that identify the trends and trend makers of global energy markets. Solutions cover the full energy and natural resources sector, from traditional fossil fuels to emerging clean tech ideas and supply chains, and are available via recurring reports, webinars, robust data sets, and personalized engagements with experts. All right. Welcome back to Energy Sense, an S&P Global podcast covering all things on the intersection of energy and finance. This is your host, Hill Baden, and I'm here today with Chris Alexander and Presh Pillay to talk about the U.S. service sector. How are y'all? Very good. Yeah, doing well, Hill. Very good. And this call is on the back of a call that we had a couple weeks ago with two gentlemen that I know both of you work closely with, Reed Olmsted and Emery Kugler, talking about North America oil and gas supply. And I wanted to get from then kind of the outlook for near-term supply growth, whether that be oil, whether that be gas, given the commodity strength. There's been a lot of headlines around investor discipline from these management teams. And one of the somewhat surprising kind of piece of feedback in that conversation was service sector will be the ultimate constraint in 2023. And so I wanted to dive into that a little bit more with you all. And you guys do a lot of work on the U.S. service sector, pressure pumping, rigs, whatever else. And for all those listening, we'll put more information on that in the liner notes of the podcast. And you can reach out to us at energysense at smpglobal.com. But some of my questions, I want to get kind of three things covered. One is the overall health of the service sector as we're looking at it coming into right in the middle of earnings. So so we're coming into the tail end of 22, obviously going into 23. Two, some of the investor pressures, and that's both investor pressure as it relates to some of the environmental concerns that are floating around across all industries. The investor pressures to return cash flow to shareholders and what consolidation means in that respect. And then really y'all's thoughts on where we're going over the next few months into 2023. So Chris, maybe if we can start with you kind of outlining the general structure of the service sector today. Okay. Yeah, I guess what I'd really like to do is kind of talk about how we actually got to this point. So going back the last couple of years before the, you know, the pandemic, the, you know, the service sector, especially the completions market was a very commoditized market. The margins were low. It was extremely oversupplied. To the point that let's say Schlumberger abandoned the market. They said we can't. Mm-hmm. This is hurting our margins, so they spun it off to Liberty. You had Baker Hughes. They spun off BJ Services and got rid of their North American completions market. The rigs market was doing a little bit better, but they kind of a little bit more bifurcated. They had high tech rigs. They're getting a little bit better margins, and then there was the non high tech rigs, the low spec rigs. There was they're a lot more commoditized, very mm-hmm. low margins there, but still, at least on the rig side. They still weren't earning profits. They're still kind of booking some losses ever since 2014. And then what happened is entered the pandemic and then talk of the energy transition. And I think at this point, I could kind of hand it off to Prash to be more what has been the near term kind of historical movement of the completion side. Yeah, thanks a lot, Chris. I mean, just to elaborate on what you're saying, I mean, everything that's been occurring up to this point, we've seen the seismic shift in sort of the way the completions market attitude towards the business side of things has dramatically changed compared to pre-COVID. 
I think maybe the year or two before COVID happened, we were starting to see more of an expansionary approach where companies were building out capacity to to align with the growth in completions demand. However, with the 2020 downturn, we just saw a massive contraction in supply. Now, that's just on the back of service companies that were already hemorrhaging financially. Their pricing levels were just so detrimentally low. And then with the whole COVID pandemic, operators were further asking for more discounts and concessions, which service companies just were struggling to comply with. So unless they made some structural changes with their own internal costs, they weren't going to survive. So you saw a lot more of the private companies basically divesting their completions capacity segments. The larger companies, you know, delving more into a consolidation sort of phase like Chris has already mentioned, you know, you saw some major players like Schlumberger exit the market, the frac mm-hmm. market. Um, but you also saw some of the the up and comers, Liberty, you know, really seize that opportunity to go in and, and capture the Schlumberger slice of the market share as well. But since I think Liberty is probably the most notable sort of merger that we've seen, but since then we've also seen a few smaller mergers occur. We saw sort of next year procure. Alamo services over in the Permian. And then now we're seeing Profrac really kind of entering the consolidations market as well. You know, they've recently bought over US Well services. And prior to that, they did also acquire FTSI. So all these sort of market shifts are really driving towards a more consolidated, smaller frac market, which has been beneficial to the service companies in actually sort of repairing their balance sheets because they've been able to increase their pricing and, and justify it in a way that with demand incrementally going up and with the market generally deemed as undersupplied at the moment and, and more or less sold out in terms of the available sort of marketable equipment, the service companies are able to leverage higher pricing. But also, you know, we've got to look at the market backdrop as well. Inflationary pressures are being faced as well by the service sector and, and that's also contributing to the inability to reactivate whatever sort of coal stack inventory that some of the major players still do retain and, and that's just owing to the lack of spare parts that are required for maintenance activity and because the completions market is so maintenance intensive and with completion designs also shifting to the more higher profit loads, racking more longer laterals as well, you know, that's increasing the wear and tear and equipment. And so with the whole maintenance cycle severely under pressure at the moment, that's also restricting the ability to be able to get, you know, a frack fleet that's healthy and out there to customers like these oil companies that really rely on service efficiency in order to be able to control their costs at the moment. There's a lot to unpack in that. Yes. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) let me see if I can start here. One of the great lines about the service industry that we hear often repeated is the the reference to the California gold rush and that it was those who sold shovels that made the real money, not those who mined for gold. Mm -hmm. And, And right now we're hearing a lot of discussion about how the oil sector as a whole, but often focus on the producers for making so much money can you talk a little bit more about the consolidation? So I think from the y'all's last report, more than 65% of hydraulic horsepower is is with five big mm. players, and their names have come up here, Halliburton, Liberty, uh, a few others. 
how does that compare to prior years? Is that 65% that much higher? And then two, as a separate kind of question related to that, are we seeing new entrants that given the opportunity for market power right now, are people mm-hmm. moving in? Or is the access to capital for starting a new oil fields services company still a challenge? Prash, maybe if you want to start, Chris, you can weigh in as well. Yeah, so I'll address the first aspect of your question. So in terms of how diversified the market was prior to 2020, you know, we did see a lot more sort of horsepower distribution that was handled by a larger quantity of, of service companies. But those, I would say majority, like almost half of those companies were more of the private sort of nature mm-hmm. who were sort of undermining the pricing aspect of the market just to acquire the market share from the bigger players. So which is why we saw this sort of steady deterioration of pricing post sort of 2015 up to 2019. So once 2020 sort of happened with this major oil price decline and activity slowdown, you know, all these private companies ceased to exist. They Mm -hmm. could not justify surviving anymore with the pricing you know that we're at so now is just basically you're left with all these major players that have size and scale to be able to kind of really rationalize their own existing fleets typically companies don't retain equipment that more than like six to ten years old like that's kind of the average age by then you have to sort of retire that equipment Uh, so that's just the natural equipment attrition that's that's the term that's used in the industry so now we're at a state where you've got about five or six companies that maintain almost up to 75% the hydraulic space within the US industry. So those companies are, are really able to kind of like control the pricing levels by maintaining discipline, mm-hmm. uh, by not adding sort of expansionary capacity to their fleets. It almost mirrors the drilling market. There's a lot more inventory that's able to be sort of reactivated a lot easier than say frack fleets so with drillers sort of maintaining that discipline the sort of frack service companies are also adopted a similar approach but the only major difference is that they're more or less sold out they just don't have the capacity to reinstate or stand up and deploy back into the field at this current moment but chris yeah do you, maybe you can weigh in on, on sort of like the rig market and how they're sort of functioning at the moment yeah same thing with the rig market. The thing with the rig market is that everything now that hasn't been already activated has pretty much been not been moved in like two years. Okay. So they're trying to have to activate stuff that's been down for two years. And we've heard stories like they've gone to go reactivate a rig and all the copper has been stolen off the rig because it just sits <laughs> in the field forever. You know, that's one anecdote I've kind of heard. Costs a lot of money and millions to bring these rigs back and they're not wanting to spend that money. And the big thing is, Prash could talk about this on the completion side, but let's say a driller has a marginal dollar. What's he going to do with that marginal dollar? Is he going to put it into making a an old rig, putting that back to work, or is he going to invest in new technology where it can get higher margins? Drillers are like, hey, I can do more research on AI and automation. I can put on these rigs, and, and that's high margin stuff. That's a high margin item that they can get a good rig rate on versus activating an old rig and I is guess, it long lead time as well it's also the long lead times to get that equipment to get old rigs working how about the new build if i wanted to put that marginal dollar into new build am i waiting six months a year two years 
I think we're, I know with the crash can confirm on the frack side, it's, you know, you're talking about years for that side, but I'm sure it's pretty much the same on the rig side, waiting for some of these items for a full new build. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, just to reiterate, the lead times are quite exorbitant. I mean, if you're looking at securing a new build frack fleet, you're expecting to wait almost 12 months. And that's if you book one today. But also, service companies are not just going to willy-nilly just commit to building a new build. They're going to want to be able to secure some kind of term contract to ensure that they're able to achieve their returns that they need to cover the cost of building fleet, but then also making some kind of marginal profit. So it's not such an easy proposition. Maybe four or five years ago, if a frack company was deciding on building a new fleet, it wouldn't have taken them more than a few hours to decide on that. But today, you know, it requires a lot of thinking, a lot of foresight and understanding, okay, what are the market dynamics? Do we really want to be introducing a new fleet, an additional fleet into this current market environment? So that's the state that service companies are in at the moment. Is, you know, they're really having to seriously consider how carefully that they invest their dollars. But, you know, but there's also investor pressure, like you mentioned earlier. You know, investors want returns. A lot of service companies in the last few quarters have been directing free cash flow back into dividends, share buybacks to shore up their stock prices. So it's very much a margin cycle as opposed to a bill cycle at the moment. And we expect that to continue for at least another year or two, just with the current state of the market and the volatility oil companies are facing. I'm sure we'll go on to talk about our forecast for 2023, but it's just, there's not a lot of visibility. If you talk to service companies, you know, right. their visibility is, okay, we're looking six months ahead. We're not looking like a year or two years at the moment yet. So it, it's sort of very short term, understanding, okay, how things can fluctuate, but also they need to protect their assets. So it's a very, there's a lot of nuances involved in, in bringing in reactivating fleet. Service companies want to get gain that reassurance that, okay, Operators are going to commit for at least six months to a year. We're going to be able to escalate pricing if inflationary pressures do continue to spiral. So it's very much a service sector powered industry at the moment, right. which is something we haven't seen since 2014. And it would seem pretty hard to commit a, if, if the lead time is 12 months plus. All the talk of recession, the mm. pending commodity price concerns that, that come with, with any recession it would be hard to commit to long lead time builds or new company formations. So if I'm understanding you both correctly, we're not expecting capacity to increase. We're expecting some of that warm stacked equipment that the utilization rate will continue to increase. And I think we're at what, about 20% now, which is from 40% a year ago. Is that about right? That's on the pressure pumping side. Yeah. Similar type utilization, Chris, on the rig side? It's pretty similar. Like I said, it's still not at uh, pre-pandemic levels, but it's still, it has increased since the, significantly increased. Okay. So we're expecting kind of flat on capacity. And then you guys have both mentioned inflation. I think the operator budgets that we've been making this under not, but, but I think we're seeing pretty healthy CapEx discussion or expectations on like the 25% plus type range, but that's not for like with actual drilling activity. Can you talk yep. a little bit more about the inflation aspect? And if I am an operator spending whatever the percentage is next year, how much of that is just going into the increased cost of a unit rather than actual ramping up production? Prashant, maybe if you want yep. to start. Yeah, absolutely. So 
yeah, we have been hearing about sort of CapEx additions, but that is largely to sort of offset the inflationary pressures that have been exerted on budgets. Maybe like almost 50% of any kind of CapEx additions are, are probably covering those inflationary sort of escalations in pricing mm-hmm. being faced by operators. And there, I think with the amount of money that operators are making at the moment, it seems quite unfair to the service companies that they're not getting their share of the pie. So I think there's a lot more mutual dialogue that's happening between operators and service companies today than of maybe 18 months ago in terms of, okay, we know we'll guarantee you sort of service efficiency and you'll be able to reduce your costs on an overall basis. But service companies are starting to expect that their pricing levels have to be commensurate to that to the amount of efficiency gains being achieved by the operators so i think operators are starting to accept that so that's probably what's influencing those capex additions to accommodate for that but obviously with the whole backdrop of a global recession and things potentially slowing down about mm-hmm. I personally feel like it's not going to impact the shale market as dramatically as 2020. That's not a scenario that we're anticipating at all, just because of the sort of all market fundamentals at the moment where, you know, we're, we're seeing supply being outpaced by sort of demand. And so the, 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 the demand will be sustained um, mm-hmm. for sort of completion activity going into next year. But the major aspect at the moment is being able to secure the equipment to complete wells. And that's something that's becoming an apparent issue. And that's a sentiment that's been expressed by operators and the service companies have been already echoing this for the last six months. We're saying we're at sort of peak utilization. We've exhausted our capital budgets for, you know, reactivating equipment. We want now to be able to repair our balance sheets. And that's going to require us to be very disciplined with how we increase capacity into the industry. So I think operators might have been in a bit of denial about that at the start of this year, mm-hmm. and but calling kind of the service company bluff. But <laughs> now we're, we're at a stage where, oh, okay, yeah, service companies, we're serious. And so there's just been this huge frenzy in terms of quoting activity, bidding activity by operators that normally occurs in Q3 but has actually been accelerated and that started in sort of during the summer. So you're seeing operators really wake up to the situation that is that, okay, 2023 is gonna be a lot tighter than 2022. But kind of going back to the capacity additions, so the kind of perspective from the service companies is they wanna sort of maintain sort of net capacity additions in level with the slight modest sort of growth that we're seeing in demand for 2023. So for like a major service company that could have like 30 fleets mm-hmm. uh, active at the moment, that could mean maybe an additional two to three fleets being introduced into the into the market next year. But that might actually be new bills or it might just be reactivated cold stacked equipment. But the new bills that we are seeing in the industry, that's majority of that's actually originating from companies that are building EFRAG or dual fuel equipment. So we are seeing a a bifurcation in terms of the equipment that's being sort of refurbished. 
and being introduced into the market. And that's what's driving that pricing premium as well at the moment for service companies. Like Chris said, there's a huge emphasis on more technological superiority when it comes to AI, mm-hmm. automating completions activity. And and effectively, that's kind of like reducing the workforce that's needed on site. So that's one area where service companies are able to kind of like reduce their headcount costs mm-hmm. with the latest technology. But all of that comes with a pricing premium. But operators are very much on board with that. They are seeing the benefits of adopting this newer technology. It also aligns with their ESG credentials as well. Right. It's all about reducing emissions. emissions. Yeah. And that's something that's achieved with the dual fuel capacity as well. And dual fuel is natural gas and diesel rather than diesel only, right? Correct. That is correct. Burning. And then you mentioned EFRAC, which would be electric, which is still a minority of the fleet, 15% or something. Is that about right? Yes, that's correct. But that's powered by 100% natural gas. But there are a few different methods of generating that electricity, and that could be through turbine technologies, natural gas generators, or even tapping the grid. So directly, yeah, pulling electricity from the grid and having transformers on location to be able to step down the electricity, uh, the voltage, to be able to run the equipment on site. You mentioned workforce, and Chris, can you weigh in on that a little bit on how we're investing in technology at the expense of some of the human capital? Is that a necessity where we can't get the people that would normally be on these rigs or on this pressure pumping equipment aren't available? That seems to be a hard to mobilize activity that put the technology on the side from the cost reduction that even if we wanted to move forward aggressively with bringing people back to the oil field, are they there? There's still struggles bringing people back to the oil field and labor still a struggle now and probably still continue to be a struggle. And yes, that's investments they're making are to try and do with less people, mm-hmm. increasing automation. Also, let's say the rig companies have done a lot with a lot of pulling people off the rigs and doing remote support centers. A lot of the directional drilling, they're trying to move that off site and have the remote drilling done from uh, technological centers. There's the kind of that skilled level labor that's struggling to get. And then it's just the simple stuff like drivers, trying to get truck drivers mm. is still a big pressure point for the oil field right now. And is that soaking up a lot of the CapEx? How big is labor versus some of these technological innovation in terms of the inflation? Where is that inflation being allocated? So I think for a typical kind of frack fleet, you'd probably allocate almost 30, 40% of your costs to like so i mean that, that's a, that's a huge component right but now you know you're looking at a quite an overheated market where mm-hmm. securing labor with something that pre-covid you could have achieved two to three month turnarounds those lead times have doubled if you're looking to put out a fleet reactivate a fleet in like four months you needed to have been trying to recruit labor six months ago that's the state we're in at the moment with just trying to be able to man fleets and generally because the economy has become so diversified now where you know there's more high paying jobs in e-commerce for example people are just not as attracted to come back into the oil field it's grueling work quite a lot of brute force still but so you're seeing service companies really having to raise the bar when it comes to salaries compensation rates 
just to attract back people into the industry. But additionally, that might not be sufficient because you're looking at a newer generation that mm-hmm. might not want to be involved in the fossil fuel industry anymore, probably turning more to the green industry and renewables, for example. So it's it's definitely a an interesting time for the oil and gas sector because you're seeing just like a confluence of issues and there's no one solution. People are getting so desperate that they're starting to poach uh, <laughs> from competitors. And, and that's something that I've been in the industry since 2013, 2014, and, and that's something unheard of. There used to be a plethora of people that wanted to work in the industry, and and, and now that pool is is so much smaller. And within that pool, you're not guaranteed people want to. They might go out, try for a few months, and then psh, go find another job elsewhere, which right. has a better lifestyle options. So it's it's going to be a constant problem for the industry for sure. I think moving forward, Chris, I mean you weigh in on you know how that's affecting drillers as well i suppose it's i mean it's it's the same thing it's uh it's hard to get people back other portions of the economy are offering high wages yet with not the kind of intense oil field lifestyle so and so it's how i mean this is a lot of helpful color to that conversation we had with, yeah. with reed and emory and it sounds even though high prices might indicate pretty aggressive growth from the oil sector that growth isn't going to translate into barrels or molecules in the way that perhaps we're historically used to. Maybe if you guys can offer, I mean, what are we thinking about kind of near term? So Chris, I'll start with you, but if we're looking out six, 12 months in this, what I'll call kind of a new service sector, we've got 65% consolidation within those five industry players. It's that there's an investment in technology that it's hard to get people to come back to work. You've got competing opportunities, perhaps with solar installations or other types of manual energy activities. Also, let's keep it specific to North America. Think about North America, the rig market. So, Chris, we'll start with you and Prashant. Maybe you can add your thoughts. I think it'll kind of continue as it has been with the limited capacity growth and still kind of a large push by the service companies to kind of get those margins back mm-hmm. and trying to get the operators to kind of share the wealth with them. Because they're still. Is it the shovel maker's time to use the gold yes, yeah, uh, yes, reference? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Rashawn, do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. I mean, we're, you know, all signals are pointing to sort of higher horsepower demand growth in 2023. We're forecasting almost 30% year on year growth compared to this year. And then if you kind of put that into context with the limited capacity additions that we're foreseeing for next year, that. It could get really tight to the point where operators are going to have to, might have to abandon completions and wait until there's an available frack fleet. But if companies that have been well organized and secured their capacity for next year, there might not be issues. But it's those more private operators, I feel, that are potentially going to struggle because they tend to... Not really. I mean, they tend to be more exposed to the spot market. And right, right now, <laughs> the completion spot market is it's tight. It's really tight. And, and pricing is exponentially growing. So for these private, they might have to reconsider their sort of production targets for next year if they can't secure the equipment <laughs> to be able to complete their wells. It's simple as that. If I'm not under contract with somebody, am I just out of luck? I mean, is that, or, or I need to bid up to crazy amounts, but it seems to be we're entering an environment that's really going to favor the large 
operators. And if you're not a large operator and you're not under contract, you've got some real difficult choices to make. Yeah, so the way service companies operate is and sort of the partnerships that they engage in, you know, they're going to look at an operator's sort of frack calendar. How many wells do they want to frack in a given year? as opposed to a private company who might only have a handful of wells, right? And mm-hmm. and it might be a very spotty calendar for them. Ultimately, the service company is going to want to align themselves with an EMP that has a stable, steady frat calendar because they, they'll be able to anticipate, okay, these are going to be our returns. You know, this is how much revenue we're going to be able to generate and they'll be able to invest more in, into their capacity. So I think it's more favorable for service companies to align with a larger independent operator or a major, but you're starting to see service companies deter away from the spot market and secure more term contracts. Obviously with sort of the instabilities that are being forecast for next year, it's probably one way that's probably more prudent action uh, on behalf Mm -hmm. of the service companies, but it could be a situation where privates are gonna have if they're really desperate, they're going to have to outbid. And depending on, like I said, with the tight spot market, not many service companies are releasing fleets into the spot market. I mean, only one notable firm at the moment is Liberty. They have the size and the scale to be able to reactivate. I think they reactivated like almost what six fleets in one quarter in Q3. That was, I was a bit taken aback by that, but obviously they see the potential in this by aligning themselves with privates. Mm-hmm. But not everyone is going to have that same attitude. So it's <laughs> we're looking at a, a very squeezed market next year, that's for sure. And Chris, that's true on drillers as well? Correct, yes. It's uh, same thing. They've already activated what they want to activate this year, and next year is going to be limited based on the same things we've been talking about. But parts, availability, wondering deciding where to put that marginal dollar to get the margins for them. Okay. All right. Well, this has been a very helpful conversation. We can maybe come back to it and when we're in the throes of it next year, because it sounds like it's going to continue to be full of interesting topics for conversation. So thank you both. And again, we'll put information to learn more about the services that you guys contribute to in the liner notes and hopefully do this again sometime soon. Chris, Prash, thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. To read additional insights from our team of experts, visit us at spglobal.com. You can also find our experts on social media by searching for S&P Global Commodity Insights on either Twitter or LinkedIn. Have a topic idea or want to send us feedback? Email our podcast team at energysense at spglobal.com.